Let's hear God's word, Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The grass withers and flowers fade. God's word alone endures forever. May he bless it. Let us pray. Father, in this time, in this hour that is before us, we, we pray now particularly for that strength of your spirit uh, to be able to sit and hear the Word of God and have our souls fed by the very bread of life, the, the bread from heaven, the manna that You provide for our souls that we may know You, our God, and we may know uh, that walk of faith that is ours in Christ. And so come, we pray. Uh, I think of uh, the disciples on the eve of Christ's a crucifixion and the sorrow that was upon them all that even their sorrow was not strong enough to keep them alert and to spend that time uh, with you uh, and the Lord in, in prayer. And we know that. We know in the evening hours our bodies are weak uh, to give attention to those things that we need to. But we have your Spirit. Your Spirit in us, Your Spirit upon us as a congregation. And we pray for that strength, that physical strength we need to hear Your Word now. So come and bring forth Your blessings from Your Word to each one of us. Minister to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I already uh, hinted, and I'm going to take you back there in your hymn books to page 872, where we were reading about the work of the Spirit to bring forth the effectual calling and the the benefits of that calling, justification, sanctification, uh, adoption and that. Uh, But I want you to see, uh, after those... Doctrines are explained. What is justification? What is adoption? What is sanctification? To question number 36, it asks this question, what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? And in the answer, it lists there uh, five things, five benefits that do come 
and fill us, that do come and meet us in our life, that we may now walk in these things. And you see them there, the benefits that do in this life accompany our justification, etc. Are the assurance of God's love, a peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, an increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. That, that God has saved us and, and in saving us, you know, the glory of our salvation begins with that knowledge and blessing that we are forgiven of all our sins, that we are accepted by God as righteous, that we have a righteousness that is not our own, that has been imputed to us, that has come and been credited to us and covers us like a garment. We have been justified. That's what justification is all about. The pardon and acceptance from God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that that gospel work doesn't stop there. That's the thing that uh, we're being brought to with Paul. He has spent these four chapters arguing for the purity of the gospel and for us to understand that of no merit of our own, we have been saved. We have been saved by the work and person of Jesus Christ. No other way can we be saved. And there is nothing we have done to merit that salvation. Nothing we have done that made us worthy in any measure to attain the glory of God's saving grace and love upon us. It is purely of grace that we have been saved by faith in Christ. Now he is in these chapters in Romans, chapters 5 to 8 in particular, unfolding the wondrous benefits that are ours in Christ. And, and we have heard and just read of those benefits. The assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, an increase of grace, perseverance to the end. There, there's more than that. As, as we're going to see and as we're going to be focused on the whole issue of hope. The hope that we have and a hope that allows us to glory in the Lord Jesus. But we we fail to often apprehend the depth of the benefits and blessings that are ours. And this is what in chapters 5 to 8, in a nutshell, are setting before us. It's what I call the real meat of Romans. The benefits of the gospel, that benefits of of the pardon of sin, of the righteousness of Christ and acceptance by God that bring to us in our life right now. And we have so far considered the the peace of that justifying faith. A peace that does fall upon us, which Paul mentions in those first two verses of chapter 5. We're now going to be exploring, as I said, the the hope that justifying faith brings us. And and you can consider that under that, that heading of the assurance of God's love, because hope and love are so intertwined. Our hope is founded upon the love that God has for us. Just as as we heard this morning, our joy and that fullness of joy that Jesus longs us to experience is founded upon the love of God. And what is hope? 
I like to define words, and we're going to have a couple words defined for us tonight. And one of them is this word hope. What is hope? We say that of the three virtues that are the highest virtues of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love, what do we mean by hope? Well, I said this before you, that hope is that confident expectation of eternal glory in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very simply it. A confident expectation of eternal glory in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like we heard about joy this morning, hope is something that is already ours and not yet fully fully fulfilled within us. But it is a confident expectation of those things. And you see Paul addressing the point of hope, the the hope we possess in Christ, the hope that benefits us and that is within us, is something that comes out of justification. And it is a hope, as he says in verse 5, that does not disappoint. And I think a better way of understanding that word disappoint, again, English, Greek to English, it doesn't always convey it. It's it's this, it's, it's a hope that doesn't bring shame to us. In that, in that sense of hope. If I could put it this way, it does not give us false illusions concerning life and expectancy of things. Let me ask you this, and you don't need to raise your hands because we don't want to expose ourselves in these ways. But have you ever experienced that inward shame from plans that were derailed by circumstances? You've made all these plans to have something happen. Could be within your family. You've made plans. I just read in the news this past week. And this is an example of of a disappointing, a hope that disappoints, something that brought shame of a couple that planned months ago to take uh, this this uh, vacation at a resort in Punta Cana, I think it was. And they found out the day before that they were to get on the plane, they found out that they had been cheated by the one who had planned it. That they had all these expectations and spent all of this money to go on this trip in the winter here in Canada. That's always a dream to go south and experience the warmth of these resorts. And they were referenced to this person that they put all their confidence in by a friend, only to find find out that this was a con man. And he took their money and they had nothing. It's pretty humbling, isn't it, to have that exposed, isn't it? Hope like that that brought disappointment. They depended upon a person, and that dependence upon that person was wrongly placed. Or we have hoped in something, and and the experience that we were desiring uh, was far, far less than we expected. And you sit there and think of all the time and energy and expense that was set into accomplishing this experience and it wasn't there. You see, it's not just, oh, well, that was disappointing. There's there's this kind of inward shame that the experience just didn't happen. 
And there are many who have this kind of hope when it comes to understanding where their eternity is going to be spent. Again, you ask people, are you assured that you will be in heaven when you die? And the most common response you get from them is this, well, I hope so. And then you follow it up with that next logical question, well, what is your hope? And you get this convoluted answer that has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are sitting there in your own thoughts and saying, well, I can see why you don't have a confident expectation. Because it isn't in the one who alone is able to accomplish that expectation. There are many who live without hope and yet cling to some deceptive hope. But that isn't so with us. If we are in Christ, and it's, it's very important to see Paul saying here as he's explained and set forth the glories of God's saving grace and torn away from us every deceptive thing that would, would make us try and rely upon our own righteousness, our own confidence, our own doing, our own merit. He's, he's ripped all of that, that away to leave us bare before God with the with only the person of Jesus Christ to trust in, He is now saying, now this is where your hope is. And I want you to understand how sure it is. So that we walk as a people who aren't disappointed, who aren't discouraged and shamed by circumstances in life, but rest in a confident expectation of eternal glory in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Is that your hope? That is the hope of justifying faith. And that's what is communicated to us in Scripture. Psalm 22. We all know that psalm. Beautiful psalm about the sufferings of Christ. A psalm that spoke prophetically of the work that Christ would do on the cross. The righteous one suffering an unrighteous death. A shameful death in the eyes of Israel. He set himself on the cross as a curse before God. And he endured, as we heard, he endured that shame. But he did it for us. Listen to Psalm 22 verse 5. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Isn't that wondrous? That through the shame that Christ endured on our part, our shame has been removed. That we can stand with a confident expectation of glory in Him. And that's what Paul is affirming for us. That our hope of salvation and eternal glory is resting in the Lord Jesus in whom we have been justified by faith. And in that light, our hope is firmly anchored in God by His redeeming love. It's not anchored in our circumstances of life, in the measure of trials and tribulation, as we're going to see very shortly, that uh, fall upon us. It is anchored in God. 
and His redeeming life. And when this hope is realized in our lives, in truth, this hope enables us to glory in things that confuse this world. And by glory, we mean making our boast. When when he speaks there in verse 2 about rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, that word rejoice is better understood as make your boast in these things. And what he does here in in the remainder of these verses, in verses 3 to 11, he, he shows us the things that we are able to boast in because our hope is firmly anchored in our God and His redeeming love. And one of the things we see in verses 3 to 5, we're able to make our boast or we're able to glory in tribulation. Isn't that a paradox? Rejoice in sufferings. And again, I said we were going to get definitions to words. But understand in verse 3, when he says that, not only that, we also glory in tribulations. What are tribulations? Again, I think it important to separate it into what it's specifically pointing to and what Paul will address further on in this letter. It isn't about afflictions or infirmities of health or trials that are necessarily in our lives because God is trying to wean us away from sin and and bring forth a greater measure of righteousness and truth in our lives. It's not about those kind of trials. Tribulations, is a, it's a word that very specifically addresses the pressure of shame and distress, that opposition, persecution, suffering and trouble in our lives. The things that we experience as believers living in a world that is hostile against God. And Paul has already said in, in Acts, you can read it in his own journeys, he, he exhorted the church that he was ministering to. He says, we must, through what? Many tribulations enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Not just a few. And, and what is our, our instinct when, when tribulation, when opposition, when even suffering persecution and trouble from a world that is hostile to the kingdom of God comes and finds itself resting on the doorstep of our life. What is our first instinct? To run and hide, isn't it? To be ashamed. Not to stand and to make our boast in that time to glory in this. Why? Why does Paul say you can glory when hope is realized? He says it's because of what they produce in us. You see, far from merely enduring tribulation stoically, or accounting it as some form of fate, which we sometimes do, well, it's going to happen. No. We glory in it. We rejoice, as we heard this morning, the disciples rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. And the world will scratch their head and think, these are crazy people. We're not being masochistic in the sense of wanting and seeking trouble. No, it's going to come. It can't help but come. Why? Because God, again, remember. God is the one who put that enmity there. 
God is the one who set up the wall of hatred between the world and His kingdom, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, so that your hope would be in Him and you would not make this world your home. But your heart would be longing for that eternal home that has been won for us by Christ. And here... Here, he says, we glory in tribulations for this very reason. They strengthen our hope. Far from working counter to our hope, far from making us ashamed of the hope, they build it up. It produces, as he says, tribulation produce perseverance. They bring forth, uh, by the power of the Spirit in our life, uh, uh, an enduring of these things for God's name, for Christ's name. They're producing an ability within us to bear under the pressure. They're teaching us how to be faithful to the end, even as our Lord was faithful in serving God's glory by going to that very cross. And and that perseverance produces character. Again, the, the, the word that's used there is stronger than simply saying character as in it's, it's producing in us a, a, a knowledge of who we are. The idea of character here is it's producing a proven character. That is, tribulation is at work bringing forth a, an enduring spirit, a persevering of these things. It's producing this this character of purity and integrity that you are showing yourself not to be one of these weak-willed people who rise and fall by the way people treat them. How many Christians do you see like that? What kind of Christian are you going to be today? Well, it depends on who I meet. (laughs) There's a lot that live that way. Because they're more concerned about how the world and people think of them than they are of who they are in Christ. And here is where tribulation comes to prove the character of God's people. That yes, we are, as Peter says, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are the treasured people of God who have been called out of this darkness into the light and glory of His kingdom that we should proclaim the praises of the One who has so called us. That's our character. Tribulations are producing this and we're saying, not in the sense of bring them on, but we're saying, Lord, in these tribulations... I stand for your glory. And we rejoice in them. And and as that proven character is produced, it brings forth more hope. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Isn't that though how God often works? He takes those things that confound this world and the wisdom of God rises up and says, yes, tribulation in your life is going to produce more hope because you're going to be longing for that kingdom. You're going to be yearning for that city that hasn't been made with man's hands but has been built and founded by God Himself and and an eternal glory that has been won for you by Christ Jesus. Your hope is going to be more established in that. 
And he says here, as he, as he unfolds that, and he says there in verse 5, this is where he comes and says, now this hope does not disappoint. There's no shame in this hope. Because when you have this hope, one of the great things you are understanding is that your hope has been sealed by the love of God that has been poured out in your soul by the Holy Spirit. And here is where this glorying in tribulations, building up hope within us, here is where we gain a firmer assurance of God's love. And you may not realize how important that is. But Paul in verse 5 sets this as one of the glorious ministries that the Spirit of God has in us. Not Notice what... What it isn't. It's not saying here that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. What he says here is that the Holy Spirit has come and poured out in your heart the love of God. Doesn't that amaze you? It's not our love that we have that is being nurtured and built up. What is it? It's God's love. It's His love. His own. As He would say further on in verse 8, God demonstrates His own love for us. And it's His own love that is being poured out in us by the Holy Spirit. So that our hope, our confident expectation of eternal glory in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, is ever being revived. Not by our love for God, but by His love at work in us and constantly being revived in us by His Holy Spirit. And Do you look at that in your life and say, this is why we can glory in tribulation and not run from it, not be ashamed of it, not hide in fear of men. We stand because hope enables us to glory in it. And even more, building upon that, we can glory in the love of God. Do you glory in the love of God? Paul writes there in verse 5 about how the Holy Spirit is pouring in our hearts the love of God. And in verses 6 to 8, he now comes and, and unfolds for us what that love of God is. And the love of God is amazing. It is beyond our comprehension. It is a love that we struggle to understand in all its fullness. And yet it is a love that we are commanded to be understanding in all its fullness. And hope brings us to glory in this love of God that has been poured out in our lives. And again, following from what we just we, we were just thinking of, you know, the easy thing with tribulation when it comes and meets us, the easy thing with tribulation is to lose hope. To lose a real sense that God loves me. But what Paul is saying here is, is that it's the opposite that ought to happen. How do you know your hope is sure? How? Somebody says, how, how can you be so certain that you are going to be spending eternity in heaven. And, and Paul says here, from verses 6 to 8, our answer is simple. 
God loves me. Make it personal. God has loved me. That's how I know. And it's almost as if he's imagining questions that are being asked. But how do you know God loves you? How do you know Christ Jesus died to me? The simplicity of the gospel comes and meets us with those questions, doesn't it? But, but how do you know God hasn't stopped loving you? All this trouble from the world is coming and pounding on your life. How do you know God hasn't stopped loving you? And that's why Paul, in these verses, reveals to us the love of God. That God is not like us. In, in His attributes, His attributes that define His very being for us are, are not attributes that come and go with the wind. They're not attributes that come and go even with our circumstances. God is love in spite of us. We know, we know God has not stopped loving us. Because God's love is of pure grace. It is undeserved. It is undeserved love and kindness from a holy God that is, that is coming to meet an unworthy sinner. It's pure grace. And he says that in, in verse 8. His own love. God has demonstrated His own love toward us. Love that that blows our mind. That He has worked His love despite who we are. And, and look how He defines us in relation to God's love. Verse 6, we are without strength. We are helpless in ourselves to be able even to reach out a measure to love God. We are without strength. We are ungodly. We are without God. We are, verse 8, sinners. And verse 10, enemies. And, and what Paul is saying, whoa, we are in this state of helplessness and hopelessness and without God and sinfulness and at enmity to God. He has loved us. Doesn't that amaze you? That He hasn't looked forward in time and said, oh, I see this person here has some measure of goodness within their life that I think they're going to love me if I just work a little bit toward them. and So I'm going to do that. If you think that that's what God's love is like, you don't know God. I heard a person explain God's foreknowledge in that light. And I thought, so what you're saying is that it still depends on us and who we are. And if God is going to love us for who we are in that light, then He isn't going to love us. Because we're not worthy. This is who we are. We're in a place where we do not deserve anything from God except for wrath and judgment and, and, and that punishment of eternity in hell. And yet, God has demonstrated His own love, that undeserved grace. And He's done it toward us. He has loved us. We can glory in this. It, it's not arrogant to consider ourselves in that light as chosen of God and loved. Isn't that how Scripture says? Chosen of God and beloved. And people, Christians, Christians especially, who don't understand God's electing grace, 
think, well, how arrogant to, to think that you are better for salvation than somebody else. We're not saying that at all. Because we don't deserve it. And yet it has met us. And, and if that love wasn't enough, God has demonstrated His own love even greater in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I heard a man say this, understand this truth. God has never ever saved a righteous person. He has never ever saved a worthy person. He's never ever saved a good person. He doesn't. He saves sinners. And it demonstrates an unbounded grace through His Son. And, and, and the, the thing is, when you contrast verse 7 there, with John 15, verse 13. Jesus there even admits, you know, greater love is no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And here Paul is saying, you know, even us in our humanity, it's rare, it's scarce to find uh, a righteous man willing to die for someone. And possibly they do it for a good person. You ever wonder why those, those things are heralded in the news? Is it because it happens all the time? Or because it's one of those rarities when humanity seems to shine? But here's the wonder that Jesus speaks of dying for His friends. He speaks of dying for those whom He has loved who have yet to begin loving Him. That's His love. Isn't that amazing? You look at your own salvation and you think, well, I, I've done this, I, I have done this, I've done this, and then I came to faith. And I, and I. How much more glorious is it to speak of what God has done and leaving it all at His feet? He has loved this unworthy, wretched man. And He has shown it by sending His Son to die in my place so that through Him life may be bestowed. And so when somebody says, how do you know God hasn't stopped loving you? You can say, because Christ died for me. <laughs> His love, that's the love that's within me. He has loved you and you can glory in this love. Your hope is not trusting in your worthiness. Your hope is resting in Christ and His worthy sacrifice and righteousness. But it's sealed to you by His love. And we don't have time to explore the last thing, but you see, we'll pick it up there, verse 9 next week. But the third thing we glory in with our hope is we glory in God Himself. Our boast is in our God. You see the benefits of this grace meeting you. Why justifying grace by faith alone in Christ alone we have been saved. It produces in us this certain expectation of eternal glory. And I ask you, is that yours? Do you hope in the Lord? Does that hope build up in you a great courage in life? Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your Word, and we thank You for the glory of Christ. We thank You, uh, Lord, for the hope that is brought to us by Your Spirit as Your love is poured out in our lives by Him. We thank You that we can stand with such assurance and surety before Your throne to know that You, O God in Heaven, You are a Father who has loved us. Lord Jesus, You are the Son and Savior and Shepherd who has loved us. And Holy Spirit, You are the One who dwelling in us loves us and and brings forth in an increasing measure a knowledge of that love of God that You have poured out in our hearts. I pray, Father, that each one here before You is is filled with joy and courage, but especially uh, in keeping with these words, is filled with the sure and certain hope of eternal glory that Christ has won for us. And may we make our boast in that. May we not boast as this world does, but may we, may we glory. Glory in our tribulations. Glory in the love of God. Glory in God Himself. May Your Spirit work such boldness in us that we may be strong in our Lord. I pray in His name. Amen.